Wednesday, April 22nd, a day arguably about six weeks into Louisville's coronavirus response. On this day, there were more than 3,000 coronavirus cases in Kentucky, and about 900 of those were in Louisville. Unemployment claims are at a record high. And many workers, including most of our staff at Louisville Public Media, have been working from home for more than a month. On this one Wednesday, we sent reporters across the city into Frankfurt to talk with people living, working, and trying to get through this unprecedented time. We also asked some folks from all over town to record themselves and send us audio diaries documenting their day. This Wednesday was sunny and warm. It was also the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Besides that fact, this day is one that, for many, is a lot like the one before it, and the one before that. According to most models, Kentucky's peak hospital use is still a few days away. Schools and restaurants are closed. In-person worship services are banned. Everyone's talking about this new normal and unsure about whether Louisville will see the surge in coronavirus cases other places have or whether all of the social distancing measures have worked and the worst is behind us. From a church in Louisville's East End to the Salvation Army downtown to an elementary school in the West End, here's what April 22nd sounded like. Our day begins just after 5 a.m. with a UPS worker and college student named Parker Malatesta. So it's about 5 a.m. right now. Just got back from work. First thing I always do is shower. And then usually I wind down by reading a book or watching something. I'm a junior at the University of Louisville studying political science. I'm also a package handler at UPS. Uh, When I wake up tomorrow, I need to finish a research paper I have on China. It's actually finals week this week. Um, Once I finish that, I only have a few more papers and an exam on Saturday, but uh, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Feels good. Uh, Semester's definitely been a bit crazy. And kind of in the midst of all this, I, I am feeling very, very good and very happy. I, on Monday, I was on the phone with my advisor and she helped me schedule my classes for the summer and the fall, and I'm set to graduate in December. So I'm really feeling good right now. Uh, I'm feeling empowered and also very excited for what lies ahead. Um, You know, I think it's important in this time to remain hopeful and optimistic and just know that there are brighter days ahead. Uh, We're going to get through this. You know, we're all we're all in this together. Um, So stay strong, Louisville. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Send in love your way. A few hours later, about 830 Eastern. A man named Tom Amos is watching his horses train. Hi, good morning. My name is Tom Amos, and I'm a trainer at Churchill Downs. Amos isn't in Louisville. He's about 700 miles south of here, waiting to hear when he can bring his horses up to Louisville for Churchill Downs spring meet. I'm in New Orleans right now. We're at the Fairgrounds racetrack, which is a sister track to Churchill Downs. I'm standing right against the racetrack right now. I have horses on the racetrack. There's about 50 horses on the racetrack right now exercising. Uh, It's a mile oval and a very wide dirt surface that the horses train over, and this will go on until about 10 o'clock. Right now at the fairgrounds, there's about 500 horses stable on the backside that are exercising on a daily basis, 
waiting uh, in limbo, basically, to find out when uh, Churchill's going to start. So normally, if we were in Louisville right now, we would be training the horses in the same fashion. But truly, the horse racing world and the sports world would be coming into Louisville and paying attention to our sport. It's a, it's a time where there's a little spring in your step, and, uh, you know, with what's going on, it's a little different, obviously. And it might be an understatement. Back in Kentucky, the state's National Guard has activated more than 800 service members across the Commonwealth. In Louisville, they're setting up and staffing a field hospital at the fairgrounds, just in case hospitals are overwhelmed and we need additional capacity. A little after 9 a.m., WFPL's Ryan Van Belzer meets a Guard member at their Joint Operations Center in Frankfurt. Kentucky National Guard members are helping at food banks, drive through testing sites, and at some hospitals. All of their field missions are ran out of here a nondescript brick building on base in Frankfort, Kentucky. As Public Affairs Officer Gus LaFontaine explains, ordinarily, their new operations center serves a different purpose. We're inside a gymnasium uh, that's got basketball hoops positioned at each side. We've got tables set up to maintain social distancing. Each person has their own table and their battle desk. Every morning, about two dozen guardsmen at the center join in a call with operations across the state, providing updates, sharing information, and making adjustments as guidelines and missions change. Take, for example, food banks. A part of that that not a lot of people realize is that their volunteer base was senior citizens, the vulnerable population. The Guard has stepped up efforts to fill in these gaps and provide help where they can, even when that means staffing state call centers. But not everyone was at first thrilled to hear about the guard activation in Kentucky. LaFontaine says some worried about the declaration of martial law. We received a lot of that upon activation, mm -hmm. uh, but that fear has subsided in the last several weeks. Many of the people who serve in Kentucky's National Guard are citizen soldiers who have jobs outside of their service, including LaFontaine. He runs two child care centers in a private school in Madison County. They're closed right now, but he's still got a lot on his plate. I drive back and forth an hour each day. I have five kids back home and a wife, and so being at home every night allows me to assist in that function because I'm not just a soldier. I'm a dad and a husband too, so I've got to be able to do that job. LaFontaine and all the guardsmen I spoke with say they feel fortunate to be able to serve Kentucky in a time of crisis. I have to say that I'm very excited to be able to serve the Commonwealth of Kentucky right now uh, as we battle an enemy that we've never fought before. And these men and women are joining many others on a different sort of front lines. I'm Ryan Van Velzer in Frankfurt. We're a few weeks past the point where we saw massive runs on area grocery stores. But today, going out for food is still a somewhat stressful experience. Stores are limiting customers to make social distancing easier, which means sometimes there are lines to get in. Some shelves are still bare, and many shoppers are wearing masks. But for some in Louisville, all these complications are added to already existing problems accessing food in neighborhoods that are so-called food deserts. Around 11 a.m. on Wednesday, WFPL's Aminat Lahi is in the parking lot of Costco in the East End. It's almost 11 a.m. and the parking lot at the East End Costco is busy but quiet. Shoppers are being let in one at a time and employees are spray sanitizing carts outside the front entrance. Some people come out with carts piled high with food supplies. Others balance tall plants destined for their outdoor spaces, and a few lucky ones have quarantine gold, multi-packs of disinfecting wipes. They're all walking quickly and keeping their distance. Many are wearing masks, including the woman I'm there to interview, Chanel Helm. But before we can start our conversation, Helm has to take a quick call. 
you can't sit, get set on the streets. There's no, you can't even evict anybody right now. And she's dead wrong for trying to threaten you with eviction and you don't have any income. You see what I'm saying? Helm is the core lead organizer of Black Lives Matter Louisville. And she says when it comes to inequality and the challenges West End residents face. Nothing has stopped since the pandemic. That's what I just said on one of our justice chat. I'm like, I just want to slow down for me. When she hangs up her call, the first thing Helm notices surprises her. People are really blind flowers. It's just so surreal, like, okay. Helm is there to buy more basic items. Everything from toilet paper to groceries for people who've been displaced from their homes, new mothers, and others who are having more trouble than ever getting those essential items. Helm describes the situation in the majority Black West End not as a food desert, but as a food apartheid. You only have like two major grocery stores, um, three like smaller chains, and then you got a host of family dollars and dollar generals. Telling 15,000 people to hunker down is gonna cause a strain on those stores, and it has. The other thing is all that food out there is trifling as hell. It's overprocessed. Um, certain stores only get certain things. So we come to the big box stores like the wholesale places and be able to knock out, you know, a whole family or eight or 10 or even, you know, several at a time. Helm says Black Lives Matter is helping people who can't work. The GoFundMe they set up to support this kind of aid during the pandemic has raised more than $9,000. But that money is going towards supporting immediate relief. Meanwhile, families can't make rent. They have their landlords or their property management companies, you know, really telling them they have to pay rent, they have to pay rent, but they don't even have the money to feed their families or get cleaning supplies or to hunker down, which is why we say like hunkering down or like just staying in or even quarantine is really a privilege when you don't even have the funds to do so, to have food to eat for two weeks and stay inside your home for two weeks. That's why Helm makes the trip clear across town in the middle of a pandemic when she's high risk herself because she has asthma. Out where she lives, transportation and funds are limited for a lot of people. But she's got a Jeep and a Costco membership. That gets the job done for now. I'm Amina Elahi in Louisville. With schools closed, Jefferson County Public Schools isn't just trying to find new ways to provide instruction to its nearly 100,000 students. The district is also still trying to provide food. More than 60,000 JCPS students are eligible for free and reduced-price lunch because their families are low-income. And three times a week at sites around town, thousands of families make the trek to schools to pick up shelf-stable food for their children. On this Wednesday morning, WFPL's Jess Clark was at Phyllis Wheatley Elementary. On this Wednesday morning, WFPL's Jess Clark is at Phyllis Wheatley Elementary in Louisville's California neighborhood. Around 10.45, you could hear Louisville dad, Dell Edwards, coming down the sidewalk to Phyllis Wheatley, pulling his two youngest behind him in a plastic wagon, two-year-old Soraya and five-year-old DJ. I just chocolate milk in there, normal milk. Oh, you got chocolate milk? Edwards says he's lost work due to the pandemic. His wife is able to work from home, but it's tough with the kids around. That's why I got to keep them out, let her work. Wow. Stop, see? That's Soraya trying to climb out of the wagon. She already doing crazy stuff. <laughs> but yeah, while she work, I got I take them out so they can burn some energy. Say thank you. Thank you ready for your lunch? Huh? You want it? You hold it. Say thank you. Here, hold it. Hold on. Hold on. Here. Edwards puts one plastic bag of meals in each kid's lap and then rolls back down the sidewalk towards home. A few minutes later, another dad, Mike Jones, pulls up in a big van. He has five children, two with asthma, buckled up in the back seat. Hi. Jones has also lost work. 
He had a job at a warehouse for an HVAC company, and his employer was deemed essential and allowed to continue operating. But Jones is diabetic, putting him at risk of complications from COVID-19. Due to things that happened, I could had to take a layoff because I couldn't take a chance being there and then coming back home and stuff like that. So. Jones loads the bags of food into the van. His wife, Victoria Jones, is in the passenger seat. She's about to graduate with her degree in early childhood education. But right now, she spends most of her time helping her own kids with instruction. Our kids range from kindergarten through seventh grade, so I don't know much at all about all the grades, but I'm learning. Teaching kids while they're home is also a concern for Erica Young. She's at Phyllis Wheatley picking up schoolwork for her siblings, sixth grader Kasaya and seventh grader Samaj. Young graduated high school last year, and now her plans for higher education are on hold. I'm trying to get into college at the moment. What's that like during this time? Horrible. Nothing's open. You got to come back in May and do this and that. For now, Young is spending her time taking tests online and helping her siblings with the schoolwork they take home. In the backseat of her car, Samaj is holding a basketball in his lap. At first, she says he's glad to be out of school. But then again, there's a lot he and Kasaya miss. I, I miss my Classes, friends, and my last gym, and my, and my and teachers. teachers. Young says she misses good work opportunities. Right now, she works at a hospital doing cleaning and transport. She's getting paid, but she's scared all the time. Yeah, I've been in a lot of corona rooms. They make me put on like this big blue suit with this mask. It's scary, it is. By the end of the afternoon, JCPS declared it a record day for food distribution. Altogether, the district gave out more than 49,000 breakfasts and lunches to local families, getting them through another couple meals before the food sites open up again. I'm Jess Clark. And I'm Stephanie Wolf. A little after 11 a.m., Diana Di Nicola is dancing flamenco on her back deck in Louisville's Clifton neighborhood. Di Nicola, the co-founder of Flamenco Louisville, is running through the dances with her husband, guitarist Paul Carney. They've taken to rehearsing here, outdoors, while sheltering at home. And today they're getting ready for a Facebook Live performance through Kentucky Performing Arts. We're going to be in the front room. It looks like a film set because one part of the room still looks normal and everything else is just chaos. We had thought about trying to do it outside. But all the ambience. Yeah, there are a lot of things going on out here. Because in the age of coronavirus, artists' living rooms have become their venues. And despite the hassle of getting their living room ready, Dinicola says it's kind of fitting. Flamenco as an art form, it started out as a folk art. It was something that people did within family units. The whole idea of flamenco as a theatrical form in a proscenium stage is a 20th century invention. It started at home. It started at home, and so now we're doing it at home, and that feels like, hey, that's pretty authentic. I'm Stephanie Wolf. And I'm Jake Ryan. It's now just before noon. The cafeteria at the Salvation Army on Brook Street in Old Louisville has cleared out, and Ben Middleton is headed up to his makeshift room. This is my room right here. Middleton is a former Marine and was recently homeless. A few weeks ago, he got into a transitional housing program with the Salvation Army. He's thankful, but looking forward to getting on with his life out of here. I'm one of the kind of people who feels like if I'm not working or doing something other constructive or creative, I'm just wasting my time, and I'm wasting time with the people I'm around, the people who are helping me, and I, I just feel out of place. Usually, Middleton sleeps in a bunk alongside several other men in a large barrack-style room. 
But now, as the coronavirus pandemic rages on, the men have been split up. Middleton's room is an old office with white concrete walls. As you come in here, the door all the way open. First thing, I have a desk here with a little metal chair, lamp on top. That's where I use my laptop. Right next to it is my bed. It's a single bunk bed, drawers on the other side. There are no windows, and it's a tight space. And I've got a nightstand in the corner. But it's neat. Ain't much, you know, but it's, it's comfortable. He's 62. He wears dark wire-rimmed glasses and keeps his gray beard trimmed short. He doesn't wear gloves or a mask, even though he lives here with dozens of other men. At this point, there's been at least one case of COVID-19 here at the Salvation Army. And though Middleton says he and the other men were on edge a bit after learning about that, he isn't too worried. Like he said, he's more just irritated at the disruption the virus is causing. Uh, I think the lockdown is really overrated. It's just like, it feels like, it's almost like they're telling us not to be human anymore. Sitting on a spare bed in a room just outside of his own, he begins talking politics. I'm a huge fan of Thomas Jefferson, and my favorite quote from him is this, that government is best which governs least. Middleton spends much of his day reading conspiracy theorist websites. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a fan of Alex Jones. And he thinks the government is using the coronavirus to control people. It's obvious it's all about control, which is, you know, we Americans are not about them being controlled and pulled around and yanked around like a, like a yo-yo. <laughs> Middleton thinks the virus is no worse than the common flu, or H1N1. But he's wrong. Leading scientists and disease experts have debunked those claims. And elsewhere at the Salvation Army, it's clear people are heeding the warnings. By 1 p.m., Gwen Brent sets up a table and chairs, positions a sign-up sheet just so, and readies to hand out meals to residents in the family shelter. Brent has been a case manager here for more than 30 years. People are concerned, they're worried. Um, they're not sure exactly what's going to happen next. You know, I've got families that stay in the uh, family emergency shelter on the second floor. They're still waiting on their unemployment. I don't believe they've seen it yet. Mm -hmm. Haven't seen the first check yet, so. But we're going to try to help them as much as we can. She takes precautions. She wears a thick mask and plastic gloves and carries with her disinfectant wipes and spray. Before the families begin to arrive, she pauses inspects the space, and says, yeah, she's worried. But here, at the Salvation Army, a crisis is not necessarily anything new, and the day's work must go on. I'm Jake Ryan. Just after 2 o'clock, 5th grader Sophia Catalini is sitting in her apartment finishing some schoolwork. Sophia's father, Rocco Catalini, owns an Italian restaurant called Rock on Bardstown Road in the Highlands. Even though restaurants are closed on this Wednesday, they have been for weeks, Sophia is heading over to Rock soon to help her father with takeout orders. But right now, she's kind of enjoying the slower pace. My name is Sophia Catalini, and I go to Sacred Heart Model School, and I am a fifth grader, and I live in Louisville. It is 2.07, and uh, right now I'm just doing some schoolwork, and it's been very interesting to experience it at home and do all my schoolwork at home and everything on electronic, but it's been pretty good. My routine has changed a lot because everything is now on electronics for school. I'm always seeing my friends on FaceTime and not in real life. And it's just like I'm always home and I'm usually always outside when I'm when Corona wasn't happening. 
And yeah, and it's super nice. And right now, um, if you could hear that in the background, there's a drilling noise. We, I'm at an apartment complex, and they're doing working on stuff. And uh, me and my mom went on a walk today. It was really nice. We usually never go on walks, but ever since Corona, we've been spending more time on walks and really thinking about life. It's really put me on a calm mood because I had so many activities and stuff. Now I just feel like I'm super calm and super chilled out and i think it was a good break but i wish i could go outside more in jefferson county several covid19 hotspots have emerged all connected to local nursing homes at trayton oak towers a senior living facility in old louisville at this point 29 residents and 14 staff members have tested positive for the virus 11 have died but on this wednesday there's another story here now it's 2.30, and WFPL's Jared Bennett is at Bill Latta's 100th birthday party. A handful of people are gathered in front of Trayton Oak Towers Senior Living Facility, waiting to see Bill Latta on his 100th birthday. It's a festive scene. The sun is shining, some are holding balloons or a bright yellow sign, and everyone is wearing a colorful mask to cover their face. Reverend Lori Kyle is there from the First Unitarian Church, where Latta has been a member since 1961. Kyle reminds the crowd that today is also Earth Day, a fitting holiday for Latta's 100th birthday. Bill was one of the pioneers at our congregation for uh, advocating for solar panels. He and his wife Martha were the first ones to donate and have that done. Kyle says since the Latta's installed solar in 2008, 24 other households from the parish followed suit. Kyle says Latta started pushing Trayton Oak Towers to use more environmentally friendly lights once he moved there. So it is such a beautiful thing on this beautiful Earth Day that this man is turning 100 years old at this particular institution. Just after 2.30, an aide pushes Bill Latta on a wheelchair through the double doors and into the courtyard. And then they sing happy birthday. It's a nice moment near the end of a difficult month at Trayton Oak Towers, with dozens of residents and staff members testing positive for the coronavirus since April 9th. Some residents have died. The celebration doesn't last long. Latta waves goodbye. And just a few minutes after he made his first appearance, Latta's aide takes him back into the facility. I'm Jared Bennett. A little after 3 o'clock, Aaron Hinson is on our front porch in the Shelby Park neighborhood. Hinson is the founder of Louisville COVID-19 Match, which she started in March as the pandemic began to hit the city. The concept is pretty simple. People sign up either as someone who's relatively low risk and is interested in helping others, or someone who is high risk and needs help. Then Hinson matches them, helping elderly people and people with underlying conditions get groceries and medicine without leaving the house. So far, they've matched nearly 250 volunteers with 250 people who need assistance in the community. Uh, my name's Erin Hinson. I guess founder of the Louisville COVID-19 Match Program. It's currently almost 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, I just finished the um, non-traditional instruction with my kids. Um, so I have a nine and a seven-year-old, so third and first grade. Uh, so while I had the boys focused on doing their 20 to 30 minutes of reading, um, I was able to kind of pull myself away and return a couple of phone calls. And we had a volunteer in the 40272 zip code. We don't have a ton of volunteers. 
in that area uh, right now. And so we had a gentleman who was kind of frantic because he had a can of beans for dinner last night, running out of food, um, can't cook, doesn't really know how to cook. Um, he's in his 80s, probably shouldn't be cooking, uh, if I'm being honest. And so uh, I asked, what do you do with that? Um, so I ended up calling uh, Councilman David Yates's office just to see if they had any ideas about the frozen meal program to see if the city was going to bring it back online and they were super super helpful in not only getting him connected with that pro with the Meals on Wheels uh, program again but also uh, David just was like I'll volunteer I'll be his volunteer and so now Councilman Yates has a match and he was going to run to the grocery store this afternoon and make sure that he had food. So, unfortunately, I've uh, become really familiar with the sound of desperation. Um, not something I ever thought I would become good at managing the stress of others um, in that way. But every day, uh, our team takes calls and people are desperate. And a lot of times, you know, people get our phone number because they saw us in the newspaper or heard us on the radio or somebody, a neighbor told them. And, so we're constantly telling people like who we are and what we do and sometimes that's not what people need. Sometimes people are just hungry. Um, and I am not a person that can just say, well, that's not what we do and move on to the next call. If this is my city, these are my people. And if you are hungry, I'm gonna make sure you have food somehow. Around 3.30, Anthony Gallagher and Alicia Marie are getting ready to talk to their father via video chat. Their dad, Mark Saunders, is a healthcare worker. He's a vascular technician at Norton Autobahn Hospital, where he's been working for 40 years. But for about the past month, he's been a COVID-19 patient at that same hospital. A week before we talk, Saunders was moved out of the intensive care unit into a standard hospital room. Marie shared a video on Facebook of the journey from one room to another. In it, her father is rolled down the hall on a gurney. His colleagues, all masked hospital workers, line the hall. Hit the road, Jack, blares over a speaker, and everyone cheers and claps. My name is Alicia Marie. My last name is Marie. <laughs> my name is Anthony Gallar, Mark's oldest son. So my father's name is Mark. He has been working at Norton Audubon Hospital for over 40 years, and he is a vascular tech. So he has been in the hospital since March the 24th, I want to say, on a Thursday. Um, so we're coming up on a month. Uh, with the current state, it's been challenging because you can't be there. That's the, For me personally, that's the most challenging part, is to not be able to be with family and show that support to your family in the hospital so they can see and feel you there, you know, help them fight, fight through it. There have been a lot of cases where people are healing from the virus and being able to go home shortly after or who are on the ventilator and coming off the ventilator and they're operating the way that they were prevent. Um, but our father's situation isn't that. At this point, it will be a month in the hospital um, this week and he still has a minimum of two more weeks inpatient at Fraser. So it's a longer journey for us than it is for others. Um, so even though we do celebrate that, yes, he is corona-free, it's a, it's a daily, gradual thing. Um, and he's still battling the effects of the virus. So one of the big blessings for us have been the fact that he has been there for over 40 years. So 
you know, you spend a lot of your time and a lot of your life around your coworkers, and that is his family. Since we can't be there physically, a lot of them have visited, and they did a big parade for him, and like that's just been awesome to see. Even though we aren't able to be there physically with him, his team has a schedule of who visits him throughout the day, so they're able to be there to touch him, to help him go throughout his everyday life and encourage him when he's down when we can't. Um, and then we've also had like his grandchildren make videos to him and we're able to send it to them and they show him and then they send us his reaction. So they've really helped us to um, engage more with our father and they've definitely been there to support him as an extension of us because they're already his family and they're in constant contact with us as well. So that is is definitely been a blessing to us that he is where he works. He's with his family. It's been a tough time to be working in the arts. Many of the city's major arts organizations have announced layoffs and furloughs. This poses real economic problems for a lot of these arts workers. But for dancers, there's an additional challenge. They've got to stay in good physical shape. WFPL Stephanie Wolf found one ballet dancer with a non-traditional approach. Over in the Clifton Heights neighborhood, Louisville ballet dancer Justin Hogan shows me his backyard. It's good size, very green. A few trees in the back corners provide a nice patch of shade. And that's where we stand, more than six feet apart, to hide from the late afternoon sun. Hogan tells me it was devastating to not get to perform the final shows of the ballet season. And also reassuring in a sense, it was absolutely the correct call, not only for the community safety, but also for ours. He's been staying in shape by taking virtual dance classes. Our director, Robert Curran, offers class every single day between 9 and 11. He's also found another very satisfying form of physical activity. He and his girlfriend, who is also a dancer with the ballet, recently bought this house. He motions around to the backyard and says this was a big draw even if it needed some TLC. So today I've got a few things to do. It's nearly 4 p.m. and he's spent the day tackling a few tasks, like hauling hundreds of pounds of gravel and getting after some weeds. The last thing is a project that I've just started this week. One of the previous owners in the house started to bring down a tree in the backyard. And what they ended up leaving was a part of the trunk that is about six feet high. And rather than go out and get a chainsaw, I decided that it would not only be more fun, but also a better workout to go out and get an axe and fell it by hand. I'm Stephanie Wolf, And I'm Eleanor Klibanoff. It's 4 p.m. and the sanctuary at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in eastern Jefferson County is silent. That's the case more often than not these days, as Sunday services and Wednesday night Bible study have moved online. But today, Pastor Lewis Humes will get to see some members of his church community from a distance as they come to pick up their Sunday supplies. Humes is handing out hymnals so people can follow along with services at home and little do-it-yourself communion kits. And if you take one of these and you open the thin plastic on the top, a wafer is exposed. And then you open the other one and the juice is exposed. That's so handy. And so people will be able to take these home and getting a sign up so that we know who doesn't get them. And then we can make deliveries tomorrow and Friday. Humes never thought he'd be preaching to an iPad in an empty church, let alone teaching people how to give themselves communion. But he says that part's not unheard of. The first communions were all taken at home. There were no churches, no pews, no pulpits. 
that's what I'll remind our church this Sunday is you're actually doing something closer to what the first Christians did 2,000 years ago than you usually do when you gather in our church. Humes calls himself an old school Southern Baptist, but so much has changed for him and his congregation in the last few weeks. Not least of all, his views on the pandemic. My first reaction is that this was an overreach. The very first week that we were dealing with this and they said groups of less than 50, we went ahead and met. Uh, Then I started doing some research and realized, although it said flu-like symptoms, this really isn't just another case of the flu. He put an end to all meetings larger than 10. And since then, he says, it's mostly just been him and the accompanist on Sundays. And on a Wednesday like this one, he's alone, preparing for Bible study. He's been live streaming the Bible study meetings from the church basement, but got some good-natured complaints about the bleak white cement walls. So he and his wife ordered a backdrop that looks like bookshelves to make it a bit more homey. But he still hasn't managed to replicate the freewheeling discussions he's worked to cultivate over the years. My normal Wednesday night, I'm prepared to bring a lesson, but seldom do I actually bring that lesson. Because I start with two questions. What have you read in God's Word in the last week that was a blessing to you? And secondly, what have you read in God's Word lately that was a puzzle to you? Well, now I can't do that. It's not, as, it's not as free. Instead, he's preparing a lesson he'll have to actually use, as well as a worksheet so people can follow along at home. He's finalizing all of that while he waits for more folks to drop by for their DIY communion kits. When they do, he'll offer them a wave, a prayer, and remind them to check the church's Facebook page for the latest updates. I'm Eleanor Klibanoff in Louisville. Later that hour, Courtney Bennett is sitting in her car after a house call. Bennett is a hospice vet who travels to help sick and dying pets. Often, like today, she's putting down a sick dog and then helping the family grieve. This is complicated in the age of coronavirus. Bennett tries not to go into families' houses, but if a pet can't move or has never been outdoors, she sometimes has no choice. Even under the best circumstances, she's having to find new ways to help families through the process. Hi, this is Courtney Bennett. I've just left another appointment helping a very wonderful woman with her beloved dog have a gentle death outside with a gentle breeze and not too warm sun, but the incredible awkwardness of trying to talk through masks with the neighbor's lawn care service going so loud that we could barely hear the words we were exchanging. But most importantly, the dog was able to be at home and have a very peaceful death. It is hard when I approach and I see people scatter and I know they're worried about my safety and their safety and trying to be considerate. It's such an awkward time that we're in that everyone's trying to figure out how to navigate. It is hard when I approach people with tears and snot rolling down their faces and they have to quickly remember that they have to put their mask back on. But thankfully we are still able to do what we can do to help them. And I think every day about all of the people that are dying alone, the family members that don't get to say goodbye. And I really do consider this ability that we can maintain for animals to still have a good death at home with their family present. Um, And it's okay to institute regulations rules, recommendations, requirements, whatever you want to call it to try to keep everybody safe. Um, But we're still able to be present and that is so much more than 
a lot of human beings are getting right now. So it was, it was a good death and a beautiful day and we managed and worked right through it despite all the COVID changes. And people are more thankful than ever that this is an option. And um, I just hope that we can see our way through the other side of this and keep giving them the, the help that we can. In the past month, the lives of almost everyone in Louisville have changed. Some have become more complicated and hectic with increased safety precautions, regulations, and worries. But many have become simpler. There's no school, no places to go. For Mom Maram Diop, there's not much beyond reading, following the news, and a once-weekly trip to the grocery store. My name is Mom Maram Diop. It's 4 o'clock at Louisville, Kentucky, who I live since July 2019. From Senegal, West Africa, I left Senegal to have a better life. Right now, I'm watching the news from the coronavirus. During the pandemic, most of my time, I'm staying, I'm staying at home. I watch TV, I'm cooking, I'm reading a book sometimes. One time per week, I go to the store to buy the food. My life is, uh, is very changed. And just before 5 o'clock... Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear is about to give his daily update on coronavirus in Kentucky. Emily Ravenscraft is in the Logan Street Market Bodega. My name is Emily Ravenscraft, and we're here in the Logan Street Market Bodega. I'm a manager here. A normal day here is, you know, it's just a steady stream. I open up my door, and I usually have a few people right at 10. Um, at least, you know, 10 people an hour coming in and out of here for their full grocery shop, which, you know, is nothing compared to Kroger, but... It doesn't, it doesn't stop, but what's wonderful about it is that I get that interaction, that one-on-one interaction with a lot of folks coming through who don't actually have anybody else to talk to through, through the day. I'm, I actually had somebody just like an hour ago pop out of here and said, thank you for being my only human interaction of the day. And I was like, you're welcome. Uh, in a strange way, I've actually said this a few times to some friends, I feel like I'm the new bartender. Um, people aren't sitting here at my counter talking, but, you know, as we're checking out, we're just kind of checking in with our day and how we're doing. And it's definitely changed at the grocery store. You know, if the counter person asked how your day was, you know, typically the answer is like, it's fine. And then you go back to scanning groceries and now it's becoming a lot more like, yeah, I read this or I heard this or, you know, it's really strange. Did you know about this or looking for an item like yeast? I can't find it, which it's hard to find yeast. It becomes a whole conversation starter, whether it's to the baking of the bread or how strange it is not to be able to find things. I think, um, you know, grocery has changed a little bit. Um, I think what the, what normal used to be, people didn't cook at home a lot. It was a lot of going out to eat, whether you thought you cooked at home a lot or not. Like, now it's becoming like glaringly apparent like how much we relied on like grabbing a bite to eat on the go or like grabbing lunch instead of making it. And now we don't really have those options as much or we're working from home so grabbing lunch at work is just, you know, eating in the kitchen. Um, and so there's just been an increased need of gr- groceries and especially fresh groceries, um, fresh produce. A lot of people are, I'm proud of them, they're eating a lot of veggies. 
It is the five o'clock hour, and it's also my closing time, so uh, it's Beers with Bashirs. I actually open up a beer every day at five to end my day and uh, put Andy Bashir on my computer and just, you know, kind of clean while listening to what all the updates are um, and how everything's doing. It's just a way for me, I don't know, to keep my hand, like my finger on the pulse of everything that's happening. Um, and it's comforting to also just like finally get like a breakdown of what's happening here. It's not reading Facebook. It's not reading the news necessarily. It's being spoken at me. And it's what I love so much about him is it's a lot of numbers and facts and figures, which are things that I respond really well to. Like, but it's also like the, you know, we will get through this. We will get through this together. The daily chants and like the pictures from everybody. And, you know, Virginia, God bless her. She's my favorite. <laughs> she's the true MVP. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's you got to have some routine, and this is my new routine. Beers with fish ears. We're going to get through this, and we're going to get through this together. So say it with me. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together. And one last time, uh, we're going to get through this, and we're going to get through this together. These pieces were reported by the staff at WFPL. Jacob Ryan, Amina Alahi, Jess Clark, Stephanie Wolf, Jared Bennett, Eleanor Klibanoff, Ryan Van Velzer, and Rylan Barton. Editing and production was by me, Erica Peterson, Laura Ellis, Michael Edgerly, and Kate Howard. Special thanks to Parker Malatesta, Courtney Bennett, Mom Maram Diop, and Sophia Catalini for recording themselves and sending in audio diaries. For more from this story, visit wfpl.org slash dayinthelife.